Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 550 for Sunday, April 26th, 2015. Oh, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. Sort of like car talk if you're an Apple user. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share our own tips. We share some cool stuff found like we did last week. And together we all just come here and try to learn something new each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Build it beautiful. You can create your site there. We'll talk more about that later imazing.com i-m-a-z-i-n-g.com coupon code mgg gets you 20 percent off of their excellent uh i device management utility cross-platform even we'll talk more about that and casper at uh, casper.com where casper.com slash mgg will bring you to the right page and then coupon code mgg gets you 50 bucks off of uh perhaps the most comfortable mattress you will ever sleep on uh shockingly fair prices on mattresses there we'll talk more about that shortly here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and here in fearful connecticut john f braun how goes it today john f braun oh, you're soft there we go i'm soft louder ah do you need me to make me louder for you no 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 we're good okay no, just fiddling with things oh i see as, okay as, as, as one does do. yeah of course that's that's how it should be right we we should be always striving to make it better and sometimes that means that we make it worse but hopefully sometimes this- sometimes you just shouldn't touch it well if it ain't you, broke you gotta learn that to fix it no, till I it is make it, i can make it better that's right yeah right. i you know i do i want to talk about squarespace here john because uh they are a, a super easy way to create your own website and host your own website without anything other than what do you use to visit websites? Your web browser, the entirety of your Squarespace experience can be managed right inside your web browser. You visit squarespace.com slash MGG. That kind of lets them know that, that we sent you there and we appreciate that. And they do too. And then you just start building your website. You pick a, a template. And then once you've picked a template, you go ahead and start you know, you name your site, you either use their images, you pop in your own images, whatever you want to do. But inside their template, it makes it super easy. And they've got tons and tons of these templates. They spend months developing each one. They make sure each one works across all browsers. That's, you know, iPhone all the way up to, you know, a full desktop browser window. You tweak it, you start putting your content in, and then you launch the site. It's that simple. It all happens right there, right at Squarespace. You get your own domain. You sign up for a year and all of that good stuff really makes it easy. And it starts, prices start at eight bucks a month. That's pretty cheap. You can actually get it cheaper than that. Coupon code MGG will knock another 10% off of that. So you sign up for a year, you get it at eight bucks a month. You use the coupon code MGG, boom, comes down even further than that. They make it really, really simple to build a beautiful website. Of course, it doesn't just stop there. 
If in six months or even in a month, you say, hey, you know what? I like this template. I certainly liked it a lot when I started with it, but uh, I'm ready for a change. Time to do some redecorating. You go and pick another one of their templates. All your content flows right into the new template because it's all in the Squarespace system. And again, you can tweak the new template exactly as you would like. It really makes it quite brilliant. They make it super easy. I've moved my DaveTheNerd.com uh, blog, my FlingRocks.com. The band website is there. We've actually used it. They have a, a tie-in so that you can start, uh, you can sell things right on your website. It took me less than an hour to build a website and have the entirety of the merchant experience in there. I didn't have to do anything separate. I didn't have to come in with anything. All I came in with was a desire to sell something on a website. And boom, we were selling tickets for an event that we were doing, I guess, about a year ago. Uh, it makes it really, really easy. Super simple, super fun. You can really tweak it. And they get a, you get a 14-day free trial. So squarespace.com slash MGG will get you started there. And then, of course, coupon code MGG to drop the price by another 10%. Check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. How goes it with you today, John? You want to, uh, should we jump right into Joe now here? Yeah, slowly though. Slowly into Joe. <laughs> okay. We will go slowly. Am I going quickly today? I like to go quickly no, sometimes. No, no, no. Okay. All right. So, uh, Joe does some traveling and he says, uh, hi guys, I travel internationally and routinely find myself with Wi-Fi issues at the meetings I attend. Typically, it's a special setup for our meeting, and usually there's a little, you know, bonus sign-up screen or initial web page that is supposed to come up, but often it does not. Interestingly, on the iPhone, I almost always get the pop-up, and it works fine. I have tried using the DNS from the iPhone to try logging into the sign-in page directly, which works sometimes. I've tried various other networking settings. I've even tried adding an, another DNS server like Google's 8.8.8. It doesn't work. How do I get this to work? Okay, so th this is interesting. I, I, adding custom. So what happens is what Apple tries to do is when you connect to a new Wi-Fi network, either on your Mac or you know your iPad or your iPhone, they send a ping out to one of their websites and they have tons of them. And it's sort of a randomly generated uh, or not randomly generated, randomly selected uh, website. And they know that if they get their response back, so they have all these little websites set up at Apple that just basically return, you know, the word done or something, uh, something very simple, something easy for them to look for. If they select, and this all happens in the background, if they select that website and it doesn't return the Apple response, then they know, aha, there's a, you know, Wi-Fi signup screen happening. We need to display this to the user. That's how that process happens. And then it constantly is checking other websites in the background as you step through this process. And when it sees one of those, the um, the the button in the upper right corner on the iPhone, I think it's the upper right corner on the Mac too, changes from cancel to done because it knows, aha, we've we've done whatever they needed us to do. Now we're you know, we're finished and you can, and the user can get out. So it's a pretty slick little uh, process, no, nothing magical about it, but Apple tries to make it pretty easy. And for the most part it works, but sometimes it doesn't. I've found the best thing to do is open up a web browser. You know, sometimes what happens is your machine starts trying to check mail immediately when it sees that you're online or it starts trying to do other things in the background and, and things just don't work quite right. The best thing I've found is open up a web browser and visit a website you've never been to before. 
And that way you don't have any cash DNS results. You don't have anything that might get in the way of this. And hopefully that will bring up the signup screen. Um, but uh, as far as your suggestion about adding your own custom DNS or the Google DNS, that might actually make it worse because it's usually DNS based based on the, you know, the DNS server local to whatever network you've connected to. That's how those redirects happen. So you want to get out of the way of that you want to remove any custom DNS servers you have from your Wi-Fi setups and just let it use it. And then that that should do it. But, you know, visit a website that that doesn't exist or that you haven't been to before. You know, start with test one, two, three and and then just randomize, you know, one, two, three dot com. You've got to, you know, put in something there. But um, that that usually works for me. Have you experienced this, John? Um, not recently, no. But what I had one thought that may make this easier is maybe bringing your own access point. Yeah, well, it sounds no. like he might not have the option to do that at his particular meetings. But you're right mm-hmm. in a in a general sense for a for a, a traveler. Yeah, if you can get, I mean, it depends. He's traveling internationally, so you need to make sure you have international um, data on your on your own access point, but that that's definitely a solution. Yes. Yeah. Either one, you know, to, to do the login step once and then you don't have to bother with it anymore because then it, it, you know, just sees your access point as the source of all requests. Right. But yeah, that may not, may not be an option. Yeah. Well, if you're in a meeting room, probably not. If you're in your own hotel room, yes, that, that could be. So you're not talking about an access point that has its own data. You're talking about bringing say a, a router, uh, yeah, extending it with like an airport express. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I've done that before when I've traveled and there was a group of people that wanted to use the, uh, the wireless yep. other than everyone having to wrestle with it. Just have one, you know, just, just have your airport authenticate and then everybody just dogpiles on that. Yep. The, the new Seagate wireless device that we talked about, I think in the last show, uh, does that as well. It will let, um, I think it's, I think it's a maximum of five, connections to it but somewhere between three and five and uh it it's a it's a wireless device but it will connect to another wireless network and share that connection so you can um i've heard of people doing this on airplanes to potentially save some uh some money on the gogo fees not i'm not exactly sure oh, yeah how, i'm not exactly sure how that works with gogo's terms of service you know you'd mm-hmm. have to you'd have to research that yourself but i am told that it is possible by some i don't know who yeah, and the uh, Kingston device, uh, the, the mobile light wireless. Last I tried that, that does that too. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, right. yeah, very cool. And uh, you know, somebody in the in the chat room here uh, at macgeekgab dot com slash stream. Good morning to everybody there. Thanks you for joining us in the morning. Uh, it suggested restart your Mac that there are other ways to accomplish this, but by restarting your Mac, you usually clear and flush the DNS cache and that can help as well. So, so that's the, uh, that's my story and I'm sticking to it, John. All right. Uh, who do we have next? Oh yeah. A little bit. A little, it's time to get a little geeky. We, we like getting geeky here. We won't get too bad. And actually what we're going to talk about here should help several of you when it comes time to working with the terminal. Louie writes, how do you issue a terminal command related to an app or a file that contains spaces in either its name or the path? 
how do I type spaces in the terminal? Because if I just type a space, it thinks that's the end of the file name and it doesn't work. And you're totally right. So there's a couple of ways to do this. Uh, with many terminal commands, if you need to, you know, edit or modify or, or change a file, you can actually put the file name in, in double quotes and then spaces do work. That works most of the time, not always, um, but most of the time that, that does work. What does always work is what's called escaping the spaces. And that means typing a slash, uh, uh, sorry, a backslash, which is the one above the return key on most Mac keyboards, uh, typing a backslash and then a space. So if the, you know, if the file name is Mac space, geek space, gab, you type Mac backslash space, geek backslash space gab right dot txt or whatever the file extension is so that's one way of doing it and that works i never think about that though i don't like to have to think about it and thankfully the default terminal shell on the mac in fact most terminal shells on the mac i believe support what's called tab completion or tab file name completion and so in the previous example what i would do is type mac and then a tab and if the only file in there that started with the word Mac or the letters MAC was my Mac GeekGab file, it would auto fill the rest of that file name and just right out. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're looking for a file name, this is my favorite file dot TXT, you type uh, this and hit tab and boom, it'll fill out the rest of the file for you. If it doesn't hit tab again, it will show you a list of everything that matches and then you can type the next few characters to make it unique. And then tab auto completes it. It will only complete up to the current directory. So if you need to go several directories deep, like you've got some subfolders, you need to hit, you know, start typing the first one and hit tab for, uh, for each one. But it's super handy. File name completion. I'm sure you use file name completion, right, John? Oh, absolutely. And I think every shell, uh, I, even, I, I was trying just a moment ago. I tried it with a different shell, actually SH, the you know bare bones. Well, but SH shell. on the Mac is not actually S, the SH shell, right? That's an alias, I think, to 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 a more a more robust shell. I, I think some maybe somebody in the in the uh, I think yeah SH is a is a, a shortcut to bash. Huh, that's interesting on, on the Mac, yeah. Oh, but, okay. But, but when I type SH, it shows SH running. Right. Now, uh, while we're in the terminal, one shortcut that I like, Dave, is uh, so if you do have to fiddle in the terminal, and I think uh, almost every shell supports this as well, is uh, you can recall prior commands by using the arrow keys. And yes. I always find that handy for repeating something that I've I've done. Yeah. So what John's talking about is if you if you've issued a command, say, you know, in the last show, we were talking about doing some pings. So you say ping space www.apple.com and you hit enter and you get some pings and you hit control C to stop it. Now you want to run that ping command again, hit the up arrow and it will cycle through all your previous commands. And then you, when you get to the one you want, you just hit enter. Super handy. Yeah. You can turn that off if for security reasons you don't want your commands to be saved. But, oh, um, yeah, yeah, it's good. We like, we like this terminal stuff. And, and these are the things that, you know, once you've been using the terminal for a while, you tend to forget about, but you couldn't live without. So I'm always happy when we get questions that sort of trigger these things to come up in the show. It's good stuff. Thank you, Louis. 
Should we stay geeky here and talk to Will a little bit? Oh. No, not good. Right. Oh, no, that's good. Oh, I like this one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Will, let's see, where am I going here? Oh, yeah. Will says, uh, since I live in a rural area, I, su- I suppose I should feel fortunate to have a DSL connection with six megs down and 512K up, but I can still dream for, for more. Indeed. About a year ago, I did a trial on Backblaze. I noticed while doing this extended upload that my download speed slowed to a crawl. I submitted a support question to Backblaze and was told that some DSL connections just do that. So I decided I couldn't live with it and discontinued the trial. Uh, Along comes recently Apple with the new photos app with iCloud storage. I like the idea of having all my photos in the cloud for an additional backup method. So knowing that it would take a long time for my 30 plus gigabyte library to upload, I started the upload with the idea of just letting it go for however many days or weeks that would take. It didn't take long into the upload that I got reminded about it affecting my download speeds. So if I want to do anything, Apple TV, Netflix, even just normal browsing, I'm back in this unusability situation. Do you know of any network settings, tweaks, or anything, really, that would allow my downloads to stream at a normal rate? I'm using a current model Airport Extreme. I realize the upload would slow it some because of the bandwidth, but but having my downloads be dropping to almost nothing is not good. Okay, so I have not experienced a specific DSL-related situation where uploading would slow down uh, your download speed. So I'm going to, for the, for the purposes of this conversation, or at least until I I know more about that, I'm going to discount the fact that this might be something very particular to your DSL setup. And we'll talk more generally about why up, why having, you know, if you, you've got plenty of download bandwidth and you're using all of your upload bandwidth, why would that slow you down? Because that happens to me here, too, on a normal, you know, well, I'd say normal, on a cable modem connection. I guess nothing's normal these days. So what happens is when you're sending data, when you're receiving data down, your computer or device, any device on your network, gets the data, and then in most cases is going to uh, request that data in chunks. And after each chunk, it says, okay, got it, send me more, Right. And then it sends and then the computer on the other end sends more and you say, okay, got it. Thanks. Send me more. Well, that your piece in that conversation, that, okay, got it. Send me more gets queued up with everything else that you're sending. So if your uploads are, if your upload pipe is completely saturated by anything in this case, you know, photos being blazed up to the cloud, your turnaround of those bits of data are also going to be slowed. And that's where you get this perception of a very slow download speed, even though your download pipe isn't being saturated at all. So that's the that's the problem. And, and as Brian Romero in the, in the chat room points out correctly, this is uh, why this is called packet uh, 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 transmission, right? It, they send you a packet. You say, OK, I got the packet. Send me another and, and down come the packets. Now, there's other things like UDP and, and things like that where. You don't really need that stuff. It's not quite as asynchronous as that, but um, or not quite as synchronous as that. It gets more asynchronous, but uh, that's for the sake of this discussion. That's probably what's happening. So what you want to be able to do is say to your iPhoto upload, don't use as much bandwidth as you can limit it down. 
And once you, if let's say you, you do, you've got 512K up. If you limit your iPhoto uploads to say, or sorry, not iPhoto, photos uploads to say 400K up or even 450, that leaves you a little bit of headroom so that there's other packets that can get in and out and you are okay. Now, this is where things get a little dicey because OS 10 is perfectly capable of bandwidth limiting applications, but it gets really, really geeky to do this from the terminal. But uh, there are apps, graphical apps, that will let you manage the terminal uh, from your, uh, for, you know, from a from a graphical interface. And we'll put a couple of those in the show notes. I, I think Water Roof from HanningNet is 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 one. There's another one called Throttle D from IntraArts that has. I think it hasn't been updated in a while. But um, it, but that that would be another one that that probably would be helpful here. So we'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And 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 this is where you're going to be able to to really just say on your Mac, you would install either Waterroof or Throttle D on on your Mac and and point it at that specific application that's blazing all that data up and say, okay, ratchet that just that one down. And it does work. Um, and like I said, it's a little tricky just because it's. So it's not something we all it's not. Well, it is something that probably should be done more frequently. Other routers, Apple's routers are OK in this regard. Other routers have better uh, bandwidth management protocols in them that uh, that that will deal with this a little bit better. And, and in some cases, even allow you to say, uh, you know, when something is transmitting either to that host or on this port, you know, throttle or artificially throttle it down and let other things through. But um, Apple's routers don't give you that flexibility. Yeah. And I think in general, that's uh, called a quality of service. Uh, yes. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you, John. Yeah. Now the, uh, of course the final thing is, yeah, you could just jump in the terminal. Actually, it's not that bad. Well, uh, I'll, I'll link to an article that shows you how to do that. You basically oh, have to type like three lines of stuff in the terminal. Uh, it's using IPF, W, which is the built-in firewall, but the firewall can also manage bandwidth. As far as I can tell, it can't manage it down to separate up and down for a port, but you can do it. Yeah, it looks like it, it, it's for both directions. Okay. So, um, I was trying but to. You find wouldn't. A you typically wouldn't have. It. You typically wouldn't have data coming in and out on the same port. I mean, if you're requesting something. Out, you know, if your outbound request to say a website is on port 80, you're not going to get data back on port 80. It would come back on a, you know, randomized port that your Mac chose when it sent its initial request out. So that, that would probably work fine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I guess, I guess with, with IP, yeah, I'm curious to see your, your IPFW um, tutorial, but you're right, John, it, it, it's, it's not an overly complex thing. I think you create like a separate tunnel and then limit the bandwidth on that separate tunnel and then force yeah. route whatever that tr particular traffic is through that tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. So basically say port 80, you know, hundred a second and that's it. And then that's, and then whatever you send there. Yeah. Cool. Very, very, very fun. All right. What else do we have here, John? Uh, oh yeah. Larry, this Larry, not that Larry. Larry says, I'm in a quandary and I have no idea what to do. My computer has all my various iDevices that are regularly, regularly synced to it. 
Way back in the day, I synced my wife's iPhone to my computer and set it up for her, backed it up, gave her some apps and music. That was way back. She's not really much of an app fiend. She listens to music on her iPod rather than her phone. Otherwise, she usually doesn't hook it up. Recently, she wanted to put some meditation seminars that she's purchased onto her phone. I figured easy breezy. When I hooked her up to her when I hooked her iPhone up to her iTunes, however, it told me that her phone is synced to a different iTunes library on the computer. In the couple of years that have passed since I hooked up her phone, whatever library that was was gone. So okay, so it's not that you hooked it up to her computer, it's that you hooked it up to yours, but with a new newer than it has seen iTunes library. Fine. This is uh, I tried to ma- check manually manage music and videos, but it gives me the apocalyptic warning that everything will be erased and started over from scratch. In the meanwhile, I just gave her the Amazon cloud player app and put the files out in there, which is a good idea. That's actually really smart, Larry. Uh, but I would like to do it the regular way. Do I have a snowball's chance? You do that warning that you'll get when you when it when iTunes says okay you're about to start syncing this phone iPad iPod device with a new iTunes library everything that's on your phone will be deleted is not entirely true what it's saying is everything could be deleted but if you have all the same apps or at least the apps that your phone has and the music that your phone has in your current iTunes library. In every case that I have seen, you say yes to the apocalyptic warning, and then it proceeds to sort of do a compare and match and says, uh, we don't need to change anything because I have everything that you want out there and I have already have out there. So we don't need to, it doesn't even delete and recopy. It just leaves it alone. I, I recommend doing a backup obviously before you, uh, you do this and you should be able to back up any device, even if it's not previously synced to your library. But, uh, but yeah, it, it works. It, 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 but, but you, you will get that warning and it's not entirely clear that in fact, it's not clear at all that it probably won't harm you. Uh, it doesn't do that match and check first. It just says, hey, you're going to lose everything and then pleasantly surprises you by usually not making you lose anything. That's my story, John. It's a good story. I like it. Yeah. You ever dealt with that? No, I'm, you know, I was thinking about that. The thing is, I don't really put my uh, music on the or manage it on any of my iDevices. Yep. Pretty much the only time I use it is when I, I stream it. Right. So it's sitting on the net. Yeah. So my library is sitting on the NAS. So yeah, I don't really concern myself with uh, what's happening on the device. So I can understand. Yeah. I mean, iTunes can do crazy things. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of, I want to talk about our second sponsor, John, which is iMazing from the folks at DigiDNA, formerly called DiscAid. This software was designed to let you manage your iPhone or iPad or iPod directly from your Mac without having to deal with the limitations and shield that iTunes puts up. And at, at that, it works amazingly well. You can manage your music. You can pull music off of the device. You can put music on the device. The same is true for videos. The same is true for voice memos. You ever recorded a, a long voice memo on your iPhone and then tried to email it out? It'll say you can't. You ever tried to message it? It'll say you can't. It's too long. What do you mean it's too long? I want to get it off my device. Now, you can do that with iTunes, but it's a big pain in the neck, especially if you happen to be traveling and your phone isn't synced to the iTunes library that is on your travel laptop. 
But iMazing will solve that problem. It has for me many times. I just plug it in. I pull the, you know, I, I, I launch iMazing and then I pull the data off and it's no problem. There's no complaints. There's no, you know, nothing just works. Um, the Apple did recently make some changes that, uh, that caused some other, the other, other walls to be put up. So you can't go and see every app's data anymore. You can only see the data from apps that, uh, where the app developer says it, go ahead and expose this data. Uh, and really it's a flag to let it, let iTunes manage the files manually, but then iMazing can as well. But iMazing was very, very quick to, to update the app. So they are fully compliant with all of that now. Um, and it works just fine. But really, if you need to manage the data on a, on a device, iMazing is the way to go. Uh, highly recommend it. You go and download it from, of course, iMazing.com. And they have offered us a heck of a deal for all of you. Coupon code MGG gets you 20% off of the purchase price of iMazing when you're ready to go. And it's cross-platform. They've got a Windows version. It's, uh, it's quite fantastic. So I, I can't recommend it enough. It's a piece of software that I've been using since well before it was called iMazing. Uh, like I said, it was called Discade. And really, really makes this, uh, it gives you, you know, their goal when they started the company was to do things that iTunes could not. And that's exactly what iMazing does. So you got to check it out. iMazing.com. And don't forget that coupon code MGG so that you get your 20% off your purchase price. So thanks to those guys, uh, those folks at DigiDNA. They're crazy, but that's because they're Australian. I was, um, uh, but oh. good, you know, but that's okay. That's, you know, if I don't, I don't hold that against them. It's just how it works, but, uh, it's great software. Well, I like that they actually, um, yeah. So when this issue came up, um, I was, you know, the, the changes that they made in iOS 8.3, I was, I was tweeting about it along with some other people in our circle and they got back, you know, they, they pay attention to what's happening on Twitter too, which is nice. So yeah. DNA is their Twitter. And, and they were like, yep, we know Apple screwed something up. Um, we're going to put a fix in. And they like a day later or two days later, they said, yep, it's ready. It's ready. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually noticed it before I was having a problem. I wanted to pull some data. I actually wanted to pull a song out of Amazon music app. I wanted to see if that was possible. I didn't know if it was. And 8.3 was like, no, you cannot see. Like thou shalt not pass. It was like, no, 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 I will pass. But, um, you know, that's how it works. So yeah, check it out. Imazing.com. It really, they, like John said, they, you know, their customer service is amazing over there. So, okay. Uh, what do we have here? John, you know, I want to talk about the, um, I got two things in the mail on Friday, John. One of them was, uh, a set of power line adapters that I'm not quite ready to talk about. These are new, uh, MIMO, like we've seen with uh, with Wi-Fi, where you have multiple streams happening simultaneously, they're using MIMO on some power line adapters. And so these are called two gigabit per second power line adapters. Um, really, they double whatever speed you were able to get previously with a with the regular, you know, 500 megabit per second power line adapters or whatever it was. But um, I'm having some weirdness with them. So before we talk about them i, I got to get some questions answered like i said they showed up friday so that, that we'll talk about that next week because i'm I'm really excited about it and they do double they did double my speeds there was some weird interference stuff that i was running into uh with some speakers that were nearby but uh, i want to give them a chance to see if maybe this was either an anomaly with the unit or or what but we'll report back on that but i got another thing in the mail on on friday john and uh and that's my apple watch which has been 
you know, I've been I've been curiously skeptical of this uh, because I'm a watch guy and but uh, and so I'm not sure I'll be able to be convinced to put down all my watches and just wear this one. But I'm going to do it for a week, of course, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. There are some things that I kind of wanted to give people a heads up on. John, if you have any questions about the watch, I'm, I'm happy to, to answer them too, or anybody in the, in the chat room, or of course, anybody at home, you send us uh, an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com and we'll answer it and we'll compile them and talk about it in the show. But there are some interesting things that I have noticed. Um, and it's specifically with regards to how accessory makers are making things that, seem or at least have been said to enhance your watch experience. So there's a couple things that everybody needs to know. Number one, in order to have Apple pay active on your watch, you need to have a passcode on the watch. Now, Apple has done some very cool things to make it so that you as a watch wearer never really have to think about the passcode. Once you put the watch on your wrist, you either have to enter the passcode once until you take the watch off your wrist or if it's paired with your phone, which it should be, and you unlock your phone, you can have it set so that once you've unlocked your phone, after you've put the watch on your wrist, the watch then remains unlocked for you until you take the watch off. So this is a fairly seamless experience and that part's very cool, but it knows when the watch isn't on your wrist. And so that means a couple of things. Number one, I saw somebody make a, a bicycle, you know, handlebar mount for a watch. I'm not convinced that that's going to work all that well for pretty much anybody because your watch is going to go to sleep while it's on this thing. You're going to try and wake it up. It's going to be locked. This is not the experience that you're going to want to have while uh, you're riding your bike. What you would want is the screen on all the time, showing you whatever data it is that you would have on your, on your, uh, uh, you know, on the, on the screen, but that's, that's not how the watch works. It's not meant to have the screen on all the time. So be skeptical of these types of things. I, I haven't tried them because they don't exist yet. A lot of them are in kind of, you know, pre-sale Kickstarter days. So just be aware of that. I've also seen some people do some interesting things. Again, these are, you know, pre existence units uh, because the watch really just started getting into people's hands two days ago. I've seen battery cases for the watch or, perhaps better said a battery strap for the watch and the charger for the watch is on the back side of the watch, the same side that touches and sees and senses when it's on your wrist. So my guess again is that if you have the watch on this battery case, it's not going to be able to unlock itself that I think that whole paradigm is probably flawed. Um, it's also not going to be able to track your heart rate because it actually, did you know about this, John? It, it uses cameras to track your heart rate. It, it shines. Uh, I think it's weird. It shines. Well, it shines different colored lights. I think it's red and green lights at your skin and senses, you know, blood um, reflects, uh, um, you know, a, a red light, right. Or it will reflect red when, when light is shined on it. So, it sent, it turns on these, the, the lights and these, these camera sensors and, and, and senses when there's more blood in your wrist versus less. And of course the Delta between that is your heart rate. And, uh, 
So, you know, but again, you're not going to get that sensor. You're not going to get that reading if the sensor is covered like it would be while it's on charge. So just be very skeptical of these types of things that, that, that seem like cool ideas and are cool ideas, but the way the watch works now that I've had it on my wrist, even for a day, I started reading through these articles again about all these great accessories. And I was like, eh, I don't see that one working. That one could be cool. You know, the ones where it, you put it on a charger on the, you know, on your nightstand or whatever. That's a nice thing. Those all obviously work. But anytime where you're expecting the watch to function, expect that the back of that thing is going to need to be in direct contact or not direct. It's, I mean, direct contact, meaning nothing in the way between it and your skin. I will say this. You don't need, I got the sport model uh, for a couple of reasons, mostly cost. I, I kind of figure they'll probably come out with a version two of this watch within the next year. And I'll want to buy that. So there was no reason to go and spend, you know, extra money for no difference in functionality. And there'll be plenty of other bands. So if I didn't like the sport band, I could, you know, always replace that out. Uh, I really actually do like the sport band. It's extremely light, but unlike other lightweight watches I've had, it doesn't feel cheap on my wrist. So it, uh, it sits very nicely. It sits very snugly. Um, you know, the sport watch comes with two sizes of band in the box. The, uh, I guess they call it medium, large band is the one that's on it by default. And I have very, very small wrists actually for, for a man, I suppose. Um, so I went and, and I just swapped the, the band out to the small medium and that works much better, uh, for me and swapping bands. <laughs> If only one thing happens to the watch industry from this Apple watch, I hope it is a revolution in the way bands get added uh, or, or get changed out on watches. This is uh, they've really made it simple. The, the way these bands slide in and out, I was able to do it with my one hand. You know, this is, it's not like I had to get a tool out or visit a jeweler. You just pop it off. It slides in and out. It's really easy. So uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, you know, I've, I've dictated, I dictated a text message to you this morning, John. Right. And that, uh, yeah, it works fine. Um, I made a phone call on it. So that was cool. I haven't traveled with it yet. We're going away for a couple of days. We're not going on a plane, so but we're going to go away for a couple of days and I'm going to wear it full time uh, while we're away. We're just heading over to Vermont for a couple of days while the kids are out of school. And, um, and, and so I'll wear it and, and experience it that way. I did use Apple pay with it the other day at the, at the hardware store and that worked fine. Um, but I haven't tried like mobile boarding passes or anything on it yet, because of course I just haven't had that opportunity, but um, it'll be interesting to see I think it's success really depends on what app developers do and how app developers and, and even accessory makers figure out how best to leverage what the watch is. You know, you've got this, I, I find it to be about a, you know, certainly less than 10, maybe five to eight second window where um, I, I I feel like using the watch makes sense. If I'm if whatever I'm doing takes me more than eight to 10 seconds, I'm I should just pull my phone out and, you know, do whatever I'm doing on the phone. But um, it'll be interesting. You know, it's it was kind of weird having it tap me on the wrist and say, hey. Dum dum, you've been sitting for too long. Go ahead and get up. You should move around. I was playing guitar yesterday morning, and That's it was so like funny. you've been sitting. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. Uh, the UI is a little weird. I I had it install all of my watch capable apps on it. I I definitely don't want that. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to sit down and go through one by one and kind of decide what apps I want here 
and managing the glances that there's, there's some real power there. The glances you kind of swipe up from the bottom of the watch and they're quick views of certain things and you can customize what order they're in and, and even which ones appear. It's kind of like the notification center um, or really I should say it's more like the, you know, the today uh, widget display kind of thing on your, uh, on your iPhone. That's what those glances are. And so customizing those at more so even than on the iPhone, I feel like this, this will make the watch um, valuable because you just get this quick view of, of various things. Uh, it one part is cool, John. If I put the watch in airplane mode, my iPhone automatically goes into airplane mode. It doesn't come out though, which means they aren't communicating wirelessly when they shouldn't be. So that that I suppose is good. But um, you know, I got this thing about five minutes before I left for uh, opening night of a show, a theater show I'm playing at the university here in town. And so the first thing I had to do was figure out how to be absolutely certain it wasn't going to make any noise during a performance, but. Um, but it's been it's been interesting. Any any questions from uh, from anybody? You, John. Anybody else? No, you saw I, I posted a, a picture. No, I missed your picture. Was that of your? Uh, your oh Timex? yeah, I, I, oh yeah. I posted a watch picture. It's All a right. thirty eight thirty eight millimeter. Okay. Um, stainless steel with a link bracelet. <laughs> that, your, it your, is your quartz, right? Your Timex. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny though. I looked at the price of that model. I think that's almost a thousand bucks. Stainless steel case with link bracelet. Oh, for the Apple watch. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's no, I mean, that's normal for a, you know, for a mid range watch that, 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 that's not a, it's an absurd price to people that haven't paid attention to, you know, like I said, mid range watches, but that's not a crazy price for a watch. Uh, it might be a crazy price for, uh, you know, for some people for this one, because, you know, there, there, there's a, an audience of, of people that have yet to care about the fashion portion of the watch. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, but that's me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, sort of. Right. I mean, you. I think I think in, at some level you care about the the fashion. I mean, you you know, there's certain watches I'm sure you would wear style wise, and certain watches that you wouldn't. And that, but that's you know, that's how it should be. And there, and honestly, I mean, I've you're I think you're you what you said your watch was what what about a hundred bucks or something, right? I have, I have under, some, I'm sure. Yeah, I have some watches that I really like, even mechanical watches, which are you know relatively complex at least from a physical standpoint that I paid like yep. 50 bucks for, you know? So you don't have to spend yeah. thousands to get a fun watch, but uh, you do should have kept, to spend hundreds. Should have kept my, uh, should have kept my led watch. Remember first <sighs> ones with the red leds. I had one of those hey. Hamil- the Hamilton pulsars. Do you know how much those sell for now? <laughs> it's crazy. There, I think, no, I think I also, I think it was a T T I was one of the first companies to make those two. And I think, okay. I one. Yeah. It was yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. I had a Hamilton pulsar that um that my grandfather had bought and i i i was gonna say it's a shame i didn't keep it not really because we had a lot of fun taking it apart but um you know i wore it for a little while and then it started to get flaky and he was like well time to take it apart which is what you do you know so but um but yeah those things are worth like five grand now or more it's crazy anyway all right what are we moving on to here john uh you want to take us into Charles? 
we got Chuck and Charles. Yeah, let's let's go to Charles. All right. We we've had some photo questions, John. Actually, you know what? You know what? Let's do let's do Chuck because this is this is a quick one, but it's an important one. Oh yeah. And and then yeah. we'll you're right. You're right. We shouldn't we shouldn't ch- skip Chuck here. Um we talked in show 547 uh, about backups. And one of the things we talked about was how without a verify function and specifically by verify, what we mean is without the software's ability and process to go through and compare what it has stored on your backup with what it believes it was going to store, i.e. comparing the original with the, the backup copy and confirming that, yes, in fact, the backup succeeded because that data that I thought was over there is over there without a verify function. It can be argued that it is not backup software at all. Uh, Time machine does not have this type of verify function. They have something they call verify, but it's really about verifying the structure of the, the volume. It has nothing to do with verifying the integrity of the data. And maybe this is an antiquated thing because a lot of backup software doesn't support it. Uh, certainly it made a lot of sense in the tape backup days and when you had kind of more malleable media. Um, Chuck, however, pointed out that carbon copy cloner uh, does, in fact, contrary to what we said, carbon copy cloner does have the ability to truly verify backups. Um, it's And he says it's been there for a while. Uh in the current carbon copy cloner, it's in the advanced options under destination options. And uh, it is called find and replace corrupted files. It's a checkbox that you uh, that you check. And it says the find and replace cor- find and replace corrupted files option causes CCC to reread every file on the source and destination. Calculate a checksum, then use that checksum to determine if each file should be copied says we recommend using this option on weekly or monthly backups. So there you go. Carbon copy cloner does in fact have the ability to do a comparison and ensure that your backups are what you think they are. So thank you for sharing that with us, Chuck. That that's a very important distinction. And I'm super happy to know that carbon copy cloner has it. That's um, it's important. That's very important. So, you know, while we're here, John, it is time, uh, to talk about why I'm so energized today. And it's because, you know, I sleep well. And uh, in fact, uh, everybody in my house sleeps well. And it's, it's, uh, it's because of Casper. Casper.com slash MGG. They sell mattresses. And the, they don't just sell mattresses. They sell some awesome memory foam mattresses. These are new technology memory foam. So, Initial memory foam works great, very comfortable uh, in terms of supporting your body. But the first wave of it sometimes would get really hot because that foam would would trap heat in. Well, the folks at Casper got smart and they use memory foam at the core, but they also use a latex foam uh, around the outside to help dissipate that heat, making it so that you're very comfortable and also temperate. Uh, Very, very smart what they have done here shockingly fair prices for these mattresses. Uh, it's actually kind of crazy. They say it's a shockingly fair price. I say it's cheap. Um, you know, for a King bed, their price is 950 bucks. And with the coupon code MGG that you're going to use, 
you save 50 bucks off of that. So 900 bucks free shipping to you delivered to your house, 900 bucks, a King mattress, arguably the best mattress you're ever going to sleep on. And, uh, and it's right there and it comes, the best part is, is if there is a better part than, than that is how easy it is to set this thing up. It comes in a box that is narrower than your doorways, right? So makes it super easy. You just put it in whatever you bring the box to whatever room you want. And then you start opening the box and they have this process, you know, they're like Apple in this way. They've really, not only do they make a great mattress, but they figure out what the process should be for you opening and expanding this mattress into your house. And so you take the, the mattress out of the box and then there's, there's a sleeve that keeps the mattress rolled up. Uh, and that, that sleeve is independent of the box. So you can take all that out of the box. It's really easy. And then it comes with a little letter opener and a green dot on this sleeve. And it tells you, look, cut with the letter opener across where this green dot is. That way you're not going to accidentally cut the mattress. You're going to cut it. You're going to cut this sleeve exactly where you should. And then boom, the mattress kind of unfolds out of it within less than two minutes. I think they say 90 seconds. I had it within about a minute. This mattress was fully, you know, I'll say poofed up and uh, ready to go. Just put it on the frame and, uh, you know, put your sheets on. And you're sleeping. You're good to go. Uh, it really fantastic stuff. And I'm really super impressed. Um, you know, they, uh, they, they, they just know what they're doing. Uh, they've really worked on this stuff. All the mattresses are made here in America. So that makes the price even more shockingly fair, as they like to say. Uh, they know that if you haven't tried a memory foam mattress before, there's a little adjustment period. They encourage you to try and get used to it because it is awesome, but it will take a night or two. They give you a hundred nights. Okay. If within that first hundred nights, you do not, you can't get used to it or it's just not your thing. Call them up. They'll take the mattress back. No charge to you. Hundred days, a hundred nights. They'll return it risk-free. They'll get it out of there for you. You don't have to worry about a thing. So they've got you covered every which way. And it's like I said, price wise, you know, it's great. If you, uh, if you want a queen, that's 800 bucks with the coupon. Again, coupon is MGG saves you 50 bucks. You get your free shipping, 800 bucks for a queen, a full 700 bucks with the coupon and a twin 450 bucks with the coupon. So this stuff is, uh, I mean, it's just, we bought, a mattress maybe five years ago, a King mattress. And this was five years ago and it was high quality, you know, foam, um, probably on par with this. We paid like 12, 1300 bucks. And that was after like beating the sales guy down for a, a deal. And we still paid like 500 bucks more than we would have had to, if we, uh, if, if Casper had existed. So, and, and this Casper mattress is super comfortable. You got to check it out. So check it out. Casper.com slash M G G and then from there you'll shop you buy your mattress and when you when you check out the, the page will remind you this but uh, coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks you get free shipping and you get your mattress delivered to you within about a week so you got to check it out casper.com slash M G G and that's uh, that's what I have to say about that thanks to the folks at Casper for supporting our show. And awesome offering you this awesome deal. All right, John. So we have had uh, many comments about Apple's 
new photos app. And why don't you start us now that we've finished with Chuck and Casper, why don't you finish? Why don't you take us to Charles? Oh boy. So yes. So, um, or Chuck, right? No, we finished Chuck. You're, you're taking us to Charles, right? Charles. Hold on. Do I have him up? He calls himself Chuck, but his email comes in as Charles and you addressed him as Charles. So. Yeah, yeah, no, here, that's I'll, what I, that's what I had up now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Uh, dear Dave and John, I recently tried photos. I think the interface update is okay, but I'm not happy with the oversimplification of the editing features. I was comfortable doing most of my basic editing with an iPhoto and really had to go more intensive with Photoshop. However, the photos editing options are much too limited for my taste. I don't like the lack of sliders or range editing options. I don't like the idea of moving out of photos to do the tweaking I usually need. I also use iPhoto Library Manager. That seems to be out the pasture because of the new software. So I'm going back to iPhoto, which is apparently okay. However, I can't get there. I tried restarting iPhoto and it is grayed out with a no-go logo over it. The dialog box says I need an updated version. I already had the latest version. I went to the App Store and requested a re-download of iPhoto, but nothing happened. How do I get to iPhoto under these circumstances? And uh, a lot of people came up with this. Apparently, if uh, iPhoto is in the wrong state when you upgrade, or the, we've gotten a, a few, uh, more than one report where for various reasons, people can't run iPhoto again. And they're, you know, this is actually something I suspected they were going to do, Dave. So it's interesting because now if you go to the purchases list and you hover over either iPhoto or Aperture, it doesn't let you click on, on it and bring up a window because they don't sell them anymore, but they do still appear in your purchases. And the secret here to get it back again is, um, you know, kind of non-intuitive. For, and I actually did this with a backup because I'm like, uh, I don't know if this is going to work. So I'm going to do a backup of my drive first. And you actually have to go into the uh, applications folder and actually delete iPhoto. Uh, the way I do that is uh, command delete. So oh, yeah. one way to get rid of it. And then it's going to ask for your admin password because uh, deleting applications is not taken lightly. And then what's going to happen, and you may want to not be in the uh, app store while you're doing this. And then once you're done doing that, then open the app store. And next to iPhoto, you're going to see a button install because it knows, oh, look, this person deleted it or it's not there. Um, and I've seen that fix the problem for multiple people. So, um, again, I was kind of nervous. I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm deleting it. I wonder what's going to happen now, <laughs> but you can still download it. So it has it in your purchases store, uh, associated with your, uh, uh, account, I guess. And that's true of any piece of software. I think we've seen this happen before, Dave. Sometimes they'll stop making it, but you can still download it if mm -hmm. you delete it. As long as you uh, at one point had uh, purchased it. That's right. Yeah. They won't let you re-add it to your account. I mean, to purchase or get it for free or whatever it is. But uh, but if you had it there, then yes, you can you can re-download. That's right. Yeah. So that's. Uh, and that did it. There you go. Cool. Uh, we got this question from David, which I will uh, I'll play here. Then we'll talk through a couple of things. Hey, John and Dave, this is David from Raleigh, North Carolina, with a new photos app question. I've previously, previously used iPhotos Manager at your recommendation and have multiple libraries. Each year has its own library hanging off of uh, Drive off of my airport Extreme 
same router. Um, I understand that Photos uses the same database as iPhoto and just kind of updates it, modifies it, cleanses it, whatever you want to call it. So I'm trying to figure out there's a way that I can merge all of my iPhoto libraries into one and I could fit it all on my hard drive now because of the optimized uh, Photos library option. So do I go through the libraries one by one and upload them uh, to the iCloud Photo Sync, I believe it's called? And then delete all my libraries off of my hard drive and my NAS, keeping it on an offsite backup, make sure. And then download all of my photos uh, from the iCloud version, and then it should create one library, master library. Um, let me know your thoughts on that. This is where you cut me off. Uh, and off you shall be cut. Yeah. So this is this is a good question, and the whole management of multiple libraries gets interesting. Simply because all these tools that existed for so long uh, that were built to manage the iPhoto libraries don't work uh, with the new ones because the the new one, like you said, it, it, it migrates your data into the new format, but it is a new format. So uh, I reached out to Brian over at Fat Cat Software, who is the um, developer and, and the company that makes iPhoto library manager. Uh, and they do have a new piece of software called Power Photos that is built to do some of the same things with the new photos libraries. But uh, it's not full featured as full features as iPhoto Library Manager yet because it's new. And one of the things it does not have in Power Photos is the ability or capability to merge libraries together. Uh, he does, but he put together a blog post where he, he acknowledges this and says that it's something he'd like to add, but he's not quite sure when or how he doesn't want to make any promises, but he does go through a couple of great steps for merging things either before or after, um, you have done this merging beforehand is, is really the, the preferred method. We'll put a link to his blog post out there and you can check out power photos too. But, um, he suggests, like I said, either merging them beforehand into one and then migrating that, uh, over. And you can do that after you've installed photos, as John said, you know, you can go back and run iPhoto if you, if you want and, and kind of go through this process again. Uh, he also suggests that you can use iCloud's photo library, to merge things sort of in a live plan, but uh, he's got some downsides, including the amount of storage that one must have in iCloud in order to do this with a large set of photo libraries. But that would be one way of doing it, kind of manually creating or manually migrating each, each library in syncing it with iCloud photos and then kind of wash, rinse, repeat. So uh, we'll put his, we'll put a link to his blog post out there because it is, good stuff and brian uh brian's a good guy so so we will uh we'll do that uh, in terms of editing photos the previous guy chuck i believe we've decided to call him right john was talking about how he used to like to mm -hmm. edit um uh, in uh in iphoto I want to give Pixelmator a, a, a more than honorable mention here it is a fantastic piece of photo editing software and really you know i was never a photoshop guy because i just never really uh, spent a lot of time with it I, I certainly used it but i used it begrudgingly and uh and so pixelmator for the mac really kind of changed my life it's super easy they've got some great tutorials right on their website there and um it's you know it's 30 bucks 
for Pixelmator. And you can do all kinds of stuff with it. I mean, more than more than you would think you can do. It's it's just really, really easy um, to do this. And if you bought Pixelmator in the past, I think it's even for free update. But 30 bucks for Pixelmator 3.3 in the App Store. So I'll, I'll put that out there. Uh, they're not sponsors of the show. Um, they could be. We would happily take them, but um, because they make great software. But uh, but I, I really just wanted to throw that out there because it it man, it's so much easier than Photoshop for someone like me who never who you know who stumbled through Photoshop. So I I, I can't recommend it enough. It's great stuff. There are others out there too. Uh, Acorn's another one, but um, you know it, it, you don't you don't need Photoshop to do some killer photo editing on your Mac. And Pixelmator even has a an iPad version that you should check out too. I couldn't live without Pixelmator. I use it constantly on my Mac. So highly recommend it. All right, John. You going to take us to Thomas there? Keep on trucking, oh boy. trucking through some of this photo stuff. Yep. So um, Thomas has two questions or two observations. So the first one here um, so both about photos. And the first question is basically, is there a batch rename mechanism? So that's question number one. And actually, as far as I can tell, there isn't. <laughs> um, you may want to try um, using Yosemite's uh, finder batch rename. Um, and there are also a couple of uh, renaming utilities as well. A better finder rename, I think, is one of them. There, there are a few out there, but... I think what's in Yosemite may be enough. All right. Uh, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. And then um, the second here, now this is kind of interesting. So warning, warning, danger, danger. Just like I said, you know, I was fiddling around with iPhoto and made a backup. You want to make a backup in, in another case. So, um, so he also said, I opted not to use the iCloud photo library and instead store my iPhoto and photo libraries in Dropbox. You note in your podcast that photos does not duplicate the storage. I found this to not be the case. After the import to photos, the iPhoto and photos libraries were the same size. I moved the iPhoto library to an external SD card. Immediately, the space decreased by the size of the library. The photos app continued to be fully functional. So um, my feedback on that is... Oh, I wonder if it's because you um <laughs> you have your stuff in a, in a non-standard location. Um, from what I can tell, Dave, and a lot of programs are some programs are not very picky about where things are. And I think in this case, when you do the import, at least photos is because I said, well, why don't you try to repeat it and uh, you know maybe try some of the uh, you know after making a backup, try to repeat this and, and just you know observe uh, more closely what's what's happening specifically. Do you see hard links? Um, the article that we linked to that talks about hard links here actually shows you uh, commands in the terminal. Yay, terminal. Um, that you can issue to see if a file actually has a hard link. So basically, Thomas repeated the process. And I think the, uh, the, the consensus here is don't do that. <laughs> because um, apparently, yeah, what I suspected is, is true. He said, uh, yeah, he had a lot of headaches after trying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. library disk space was doubled, he said. And uh, yeah, so, so I think we verified here that, um, you know, and I, I think that's, 
maybe a problem. I'm wondering if it's a problem compounded by Dropbox, some uh, how it does what it does. You think, or is just because it was in a non-standard location? Because I know sometimes uh, Dropbox has issues dealing with uh, changes to certain types of files or certain types of packages, and maybe that time has passed. I, I thought sometimes I, they do. I haven't. What do you think? I certainly remember when when Dropbox was very new that there were things like this that were like, oh, no, you know, like you didn't want to put a disk image out there originally. But now it works great. Right. Uh, they, they are very much, you know, the most robust of those syncing solutions. I, okay. I but but that doesn't mean that, you know, the hard links are a weird thing. Right. In in OS 10, especially or in HFS plus. So it's possible that that is causing a, a you know duplication of uh of data out there for dropbox in fact that would make that actually makes sense so yeah it's probably probably what's going on all right so the message is leave them where <laughs> yeah, lit, yeah. Lit don't fun. run the import don't run the import uh if those files are outside yeah leave them inside if you're going to do an import or migration right uh, first time you run photos right the other thing i found about photos dave just a little little side thing here because i was a uh, distracted no i was trying i was trying something with photos and actually they now um with a lot of apple programs if you hold down option and command some sort of repair will come up and actually in photos that happens but it's scaled down so in the past where you had like seven options now you have like four options with yeah. photos you have one option it's uh yeah you want to repair your photo library <laughs> hey that's good makes it simple it's probably- the apple way right well, because before they were like, oh, do you want to change permissions or do you want to rebuild? And it started getting very technical, you know, bringing it to a level where I think a lot of people wouldn't know which option or options they should use. Mm. That, that That's my take. Yeah, totally. Again, it's like, yeah. You know, it's like, do I rebuild? Well, some of it made sense, like rebuild thumbnails. OK, I have problem with thumbnails or previews, so rebuild those. But, you know, some of the other repair options like repair permissions it's like well why would that be a problem right what would that solve yeah no it's better to just let it fix everything you should have a backup anyway i mean it, 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 in today's world especially if you're listening to this show and it's not the very first time you've listened and if it is welcome and we're going to share some advice with you and and for anybody else that's been a long time listening we're actually going to shame you a little bit because if you aren't backing up yet We've told you so many times, it, you know, it, it's just I, I get why it's convenient to ignore that advice. And I, I, I am putting my hand in the air because for whatever reason, my time machine backups to my disk station have been failing for a month and I have not yet fixed it. And I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, I know. Well, but I also have other backups in place, you know, but but those are part of my backup routine. And I know that none of my machines have been backing up for probably the last four weeks in that way. You know, my my, my cloning and and various other things, and of course, crash plan that backs up off site. That's been working fine. But um, I should fix that. And I even have it. I have a to do list or a, a task on my calendar to say, fix your backups. And I've been, you know, kicking the can down the road each day and saying, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Cause it's, it's going to be a pain in the neck to go through. Cause time machine kind of sucks, but um, it's worth it. You know, I have to do it. I have to do it. So maybe I'll do it tomorrow morning. <laughs> he says with a smile. So there you go. Yes. Do it now. Okay. All right. Hang on. I'll do it while we, uh, while we do the show. I won't. Mm. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of 
photos and photo stream backups and all that stuff. You want to take us to Kevin? We got some time for that one. Yeah, I think that'll so. probably wrap us yeah. up, but uh, but we got time for that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right, here we go. All right. So Kevin says uh, he's an Aperture user and has recently spun up photos, um, just like me. So I've seen this also, and um, let me con- I'll I'll condense this question. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> so Aperture, what happened is that it would import your photo stream and create a project month by month, and that was really handy. You know, especially to back up and look at your uh, photo stream history. And basically, the question is, does photos do that? And the thing is, kind of, but not really. <laughs> And that when you open photos, now the one thing, you know, I still, still this is my big fish shake here. It's like, cause you, when you start up photos, you're just going to be presented probably with a picture and be like, what? Cause it's like, well, what do I do now? You really want to say, um, uh, show sidebar in the view menu. And then you can see all sorts of things and you're going to see, um, one category and it's called my photo stream. But now because they've changed the nature of it, It'll include your photo stream, but it'll also include other things that you've imported. At least that's my observation. So they kind of broke it (laughs) or it's not acting the way that it did before. What you could do, though, is manually, um, you know, shortly after they appear in the photo stream category, you could create a new project for that month. So it's sad that it doesn't do it anymore. I mean, I'm even looking now in in my setup here. It brought over the last project what was it i think it was yeah april 2015 photo stream but when i look at it the project doesn't update only the uh Uh. photo stream album so it's actually listed as an album my photo stream is listed an album okay i mean if you look at the pictures you could probably tell which ones are in your photo stream and which ones and actually i can see that now so uh pictures of my photo stream are missing a certain icon so it shouldn't be too much of a pain to do that but um yeah, the answer is, uh, yeah, they, they kind of broke it. It doesn't do what it did before. That, Got that's it. the answer. Yeah, you know, I want to talk a little bit about this because it, there, I'm, I'm even suffering from some confusion here. So I, I would love, to, I want to kind of explain the problem that I'm seeing, and then I would love to hear your solution, John, and, and really everybody's solution. Maybe we can kind of come to some consensus on on how best to manage this. But iCloud has iCloud gives everybody five gigs of storage, right? And there are other cloud services that give people a lot more for free. You can buy more on top of that, obviously. And I get that it's in Apple's uh, interest to have people subscribing and paying for, for more iCloud storage and that there's some costs involved. And so they need to offset those costs. And that's part of why they charge for it. Uh, I do feel like five gigs is a little small, but it, it doesn't really matter unless they gave away a terabyte. It wouldn't, this problem wouldn't be solved. And the problem is, how to deal now that we have iCloud photo library, how do we deal with that where really kind of the, the easiest path and the default path is for all of my photos of for basically from all time to be stored slash backed up to iCloud photo library, right? I mean, am I, am I grokking that right? That seems to be what Apple wants from, from me now, but in order to do that, I've got to buy a crap ton of iCloud storage and everybody is going to need to. I mean, even, you know, I got an email from my dad the other day saying, 
that uh, my stepmom's uh, iPhone was complaining to her that she was running out of space on, on iCloud and, you know, 4.7 gigs of her storage was because of, of photos. And so I, I just, um, I, I, is it just that we need to buy storage? And if you want to avoid buying storage, where are you storing this stuff? Like, how are you managing your library? Cause I haven't quite sorted out. I have, I have uh, whatever, 25 gigs of storage. I have, I have one of those weird grandfathered plans. And at the moment that's enough because I keep a fairly small iPhoto library um, for other reasons. You know, my wife keeps kind of the main big one and I keep a, a small one that I sort of manage and then integrate to the big one. So this hasn't been a problem for me personally yet, but it will be. And I'm just really kind of curious how we're, how we're supposed to manage all of this. And uh, I don't have the magic answer yet. And I'm kind of hoping that, you know, together we can, we can come up with, with this. Um, I just, you know, cause I, I want to, I want the benefits of this stuff, but it just seems, seems kind of crazy to be spending this kind of money when there's other storage options that are, you know, much cheaper or free. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, I'm just, I'm not using it as my main storage. Okay, so it, I'm not put, I I don't put I I still do PhotoStream which is, you know, enabled on my iOS devices. Yeah. But that's the only place it's uh I generate content for PhotoStream. I consume it on the computer and of course sure. I can see it also on the iDevices, but other than that, I yeah, I mean I know some people that migrated everything and that's one scenario that I guess Apple would like, but I'm with you because you know the storage can get expensive. But even if you don't nice up even if you don't migrate everything, I mean, my, my stepmom has had her iPhone for less than a year. Uh, you uh -huh. know, it might be getting close to a year, let's say, but, but certainly not years and years and years. And she's hitting her five gig limit. And the only huh. place photos are getting into photo stream is exactly what you just described photos. She takes on oh. her iPhone, but she's like, I think, I think you're kind of in the minority in that you have a separate camera that you, used to take pictures and then you manage yep. that with your Mac. I think a lot of people right. are like me. I, you know, if I, Oh yeah, this is a, this is a conscious choice. If well, I she, get, she's got to cool it. She's got to cool. Yeah, well, too many pictures. Well, but you take, you probably take three times as many. It just so happens that her main camera is her iPhone that is auto linked to iCloud photo library. Right. Which is how I right. am too. If I get into cameras that I could, I could really get into cameras. You folks know I'm obsessive. Right. And so if I get into cameras and we have good cameras in the house, my wife's into them. But if I start learning anything about them, I am doomed. I guarantee you, I, I'll just be broke and I won't do anything other than obsess over taking pictures. So I just haven't I've intentionally not headed down that path. Someday, maybe I will. Maybe when I when I retire, which I also save with a smile. So, uh, you know, I just if she's hitting her five gig limit in a year or less, this is a pro this is a problem we need to help people solve. So I really want to hear, but I don't have a magic answer here other than kind of, you know, I went through this with my dad throughout the week. I, I, I talked through a couple of things and it was just like, well, upgrade to 20 gigs of iCloud storage. That's the easiest answer I have for people. And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily like that, but maybe it's the best one. I don't know. Maybe I just got to, you know, got to buy in, so to speak. So please tell us what you, uh, what you folks do, because it's um, I'm sure there's a lot of folks like you, John, you know, when you're using a separate camera, it's actually easier, right? Because you, you can turn that the upload portion off on your Mac and then 
mm-hmm. you know yeah yep well that's and then things that i do want to publish i put on Flickr because Flickr gives you a terabyte. Well, that's the thing is, yeah, I told her, I said, look, you know, you could turn off iCloud storage and then use, like you said, you know, just launch, put the Flickr app on there, get an account and then tell it to automatically upload. Now you still, but you still have to launch the app. It's not going to do it automatically in the background or maybe it will. Like if you, it'll do some Um, geofencing. I think the Flickr app does has the potential to do that now it will do that okay yeah so maybe i maybe i need to do that on mine um because yeah why wouldn't i right let's see i thought i had it set to auto sync so let's see auto sync oh it's off oh well i want to do that wi-fi only all right sweet so maybe that's the answer so i went into Flickr. i went into settings preferences auto sync and automatically upload new photos to Flickr. And it does say that photos will automatically photos that are automatically uploaded will always remain private until you choose to share them. And you can have it do it over cellular, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to do. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I have a lot of bandwidth, All right. not that much. So maybe that's the answer. I want to see how that works. I, I wonder if it does a geofence though, so that it, cause that's the only way to really trigger a, a true background upload. Like my, my transporter does that. And I do back up to my transporter every time I get home. It just, you know, blast them, blast them up, but it's because of geofence was set. So we'll have to see if Flickr does the geofence thing. So. All right. Well, we'll talk more about this. I think this is an important thing. So we'll, we'll maybe wait a week or two to let some more things come in. So if you don't hear about this in the next show, don't worry. It's, it's coming. We'll, we'll, we'll stay on it because it's important. And we'll find the right answer or answers and we'll, we'll share those. And John, if they need to send, if they have an idea and they want to send it in, where do they send it into? Dave, I'd send it into feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's where I'd send it to. Yep, feedback at MacGeekab.com. Unless you're a premium subscriber, in which case, premium at MacGeekab.com is the address to which you can send that stuff. And if you're not a premium subscriber, check it out, MacGeekab.com. We would certainly appreciate your uh, direct support if you're able. It definitely helps us do what we do here. Uh, if you're not able, that's uh, understandable and okay. And please keep listening and please keep submitting. But if you are able, John and I would certainly appreciate it. And I know everybody else does too. It, it really does help support the show. So it is uh, it is awesome. We, we appreciate it. It's humbling uh, and it's inspiring, frankly. So... It keeps us doing what we do. All right. If you want to call in with your thoughts, and, and it doesn't have to be just the iPhoto stuff. You know, of course, you can ask questions. That's what we do here. Share tips about other things as well. 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is? 4335. Tell them one more way they can uh, they can get in touch with us or find us or communicate even with each other, John. Pick one. What's your favorite? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, well, before I was talking about the Twitters, right? There you go. Yeah. I like the Twitters. I am John Efron. He's Dave Hamilton. Podcast is Mac Geek Gab. Publication is Mac Observer. That's how it works. I want to thank Michael Johnston from the iOS show podcast and getappler.com for converting this episode and pretty much every episode we do into uh, AAC with the chapters. Sometimes he's a, he's actually back in school right now. So sometimes his schedule gets a little crazy and that will likely happen again in May when we hit finals week. So there may be one or two that get missed, but, uh, but Michael, thank you for all your hard work. We really appreciate it. And also to the folks at cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com 
for providing all the bandwidth, of course, to get the show from us to you. And of course, thank you for listening, for contributing your questions, for contributing and everything you're able to contribute. It's it's just awesome. We, we love the tips. We loved all the cool stuff found last week. It's uh, like I said, it's inspiring. It's awesome. We love it. And of course, our sponsors, like I mentioned earlier in the show, Casper.com slash MGG with the coupon code MGG. It saves you 50 bucks. You get free shipping on a mattress. It's pretty awesome. DigiDNA with iMazing at iMazing.com. Coupon code MGG. 20% off. Squarespace slash MGG. Coupon code MGG gets you 10% off there. Gazelle. Sell off your old stuff. Get some cash. It's good. Smilesoftware.com for all those great apps that they make. And of course, don't forget about Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash MGG for 10 free days of their awesome videos. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, you started the show. End us the show with some lasting, simple, yet pertinent advice. I'm going to end it by recommending that none of you get caught. Yeah. Made up.